Welcome. Do you know next weekend's Easter? Is that weird to you? I mean, it doesn't matter to you as much as it does to me. It's, you know, like, it's a work day. And, um, and uh, it's like sneaking up on, on me really, really quick. This is Palm Sunday weekend, and Easter is next weekend. So I got little cards available for you. If, you, if you're uh, here, if you're watching on the internet, you can download this stuff uh, for you to invite somebody to an Easter service. We're doing 15 Easter services next weekend, all right? 15. We're doing... Um, it is. It's, it's awesome. It is, we're digging ditches, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do all 11 of them at the Orland campus live. Uh, we will have one on Thursday, two on Friday, five on Saturday. Never done that before. Saturday seems to be a good time to get everybody in and out. Three on Sunday, and that'll give us 11. At our Homer campus, we will have one on Friday night. Um, and then three on Sunday morning. We couldn't do Saturday because we're still borrowing Denolfo's parking lot and somebody scheduled a wedding on Saturday. So, you know, we, we had to do one on Friday night and three on Sunday morning. But if you're looking to get over there, be a great opportunity to do that. I want to encourage you to do this because we're not doing 15 services just for the fun of it. I mean, it's a great celebration, going to be a great service. You're going to love it. But, but we're doing it so that you can invite the people around you that, that you know and love that, that may need a place to come and worship the risen Savior. Um, I was excited because I thought I was going to have uh, new neighbors in my neighborhood that, that, that I could uh, you know, invite to church. Because I've lived in the same house in Mokina for 21 years. And our neighborhood's kind of all been together for a long time. Nobody's really moved in and out very much. And um, you know, many of the people in our neighborhood already go to Parkview. Some of them work here. And most of the rest of them are involved in a faith community of some kind. And, and so, but because I'm in the, uh, what I call the uh, Lincoln Way Bermuda Triangle... Um, you know, that if people wanted their high schoolers to stay at Lincoln Way East, they had to move to Frankfurt. So two of my neighbors did that, and they, they moved to, to Frankfurt. So that meant, you know, the neighbors in front of me and the neighbor, at least that's what I think. Maybe the neighbors in front of me and behind me just got tired of being my neighbors, but I think that that was why. And uh, so the houses came for sale. So I thought, this is great, you know, fresh meat for Jesus. I can't wait. This is awesome. And I go meet both of them, and they both said, oh, hi, you're our pastor. I'm like, man, can't I get some Satan worshipers or Kardashians or something in here so I can live on mission in my neighborhood? I don't want to live within the sound of the chapel bell. I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. That's what I say a lot, right? So I'm moving to Green Bay. <laughs> Just, you guys are doing what I'm saying is you guys are doing a great job. You're inviting my neighbors to church before I get a chance to invite my neighbors to church. Great job. Next weekend's Easter. Let's blow it out, man. It's going to be exciting. So, an old story from the days when Bill Clinton was president, okay, remember that? Um, they're driving, driving through, I know, it's weird, isn't it? They're driving through Chicago, stop at a gas station, Hillary goes in to pay for the gas, and she's there for a really long time, and uh, finally comes out, Bill's like, what, what, you know, what, what was the deal, what took so long? And Hillary said, oh, I, I, I knew the guy that runs the gas station, he's a friend from high school, he's actually an old boyfriend. And, and they drove off, and Bill's just smiling, you know. And she couldn't stand it after a while. Hillary finally said, what is so funny? He said, well, think about it. If you'd have married your high school sweetheart, you'd be married to a gas station attendant instead of the president of the United States. Hillary said, no, if I would have married him, you'd be a gas station attendant, and he'd be the president of the United States. <laughs> True story. Because they say behind every great man is a surprised woman. Can I get an amen? All right. Um, 
The truth is, behind any great anybody is a great somebody. That's the truth. Somebody who believed in them. Nobody ever accomplishes anything in their life on their own, okay? There's always somebody behind you. There's always somebody that's there to pick you up. And, and some of you are like, well, wait, I don't, I don't have a Hillary in my life. I don't have a, a Bill in my life. I don't have somebody like that in my life. Um, you don't need somebody like that because the somebody in your life is exactly who you need. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths stumble and grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. How does that work? How can God be the wind beneath my wings? To quote Bette Midler. How, how can that happen? How, 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 is it, how do I catch the, the, the strength and the power and the wind of God? Because sometimes, you know, there's a lot of wind and sometimes there's not much wind. I went skydiving this week for an illustration for you for next weekend. Um, I was the first jump of the year at Skydive Chicago and it was 39 degrees outside. And I'm still trying to warm up, but you're going to love the video, I promise, okay? The problem was, the first day we went out, it was quite a bit warmer. It was just windier, and we couldn't take the jump because we were afraid I was going to end up in Canada, and I didn't have my passport. Remember that day? Okay. So, so the question is, how do you catch this wind? How, how, how is it possible for me to have the wind of God so that I can glide on the thermal of God, so that I can glide and I can, and I can get to a place that's higher than I ever could on my own? And that's why we're doing this series. I want to tell you that whether behind you is a great woman or a great man or whatever doesn't really matter. Behind you is a great God. So you could be president. Please. <laughs> Any of you. <laughs> we'll stay out of that, okay? The reason we're doing this daring faith thing for uh, the next six weeks is um, because I want, to, I want you to experience that. I want you to get to experience the strength and the power that is available to us. And my prayer through this series is this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I believe the strength and the power of God is there, and I believe that most Christians are just kind of waiting for, you know, salvation someday on the other side and, and, and not getting in on the, beautiful, on the beautiful wind of the Spirit that can take you to another place. Now, here's the problem, okay? Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Jesus says that you choose how much of the strength of God and the blessing of God and the wind underneath your wings that God gives you. If you have a lot of faith, you will have a lot of blessing. If you have a little faith, you'll have a little blessing. If you have no faith, you will have no blessing. There were places Jesus went and he said, I can't do any miracles here because there is no faith. So you and I determine how this works. And I want to be in full disclosure, all right? This is called daring faith. And the disclaimer is, I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to challenge your faith. I'm going to poke at your faith. I'm going to prod it. Many times during this series, you may feel a little uncomfortable because you know what? We don't grow in comfort. Nobody's going to lose weight on the March Madness weight loss program, boys and girls, okay? Sitting around watching basketball, eating chips, drinking beer is not going to help the muffin top, okay? It's not going to do it. Growth is often uncomfortable, but the result of growth is 
blessing, it's health, it's maturity, it's answered prayer. So in the words of Hans and Franz, I'm going to pump. You know, I keep using these 30-year-old analogies and you guys get them. It scares me. I, I want you to grow in your faith. I, I, want, I want to grow in my faith. I have grown in my faith, and I understand how much better my life is because from a young age, I've been knowing and trusting that there was a father that, that is a good, good father that I can trust. But I want more. Okay? I, I, I'm excited to get older, both for the senior discounts and because every time I jump out of the plane with God. It makes me feel that much more excited to go again. This is the second time I've jumped out of a plane. The first time, I was way more nervous. This time, I enjoyed it a lot more until, you know, I realized how cold it was and I couldn't breathe. Every time you do something with God, you trust him that much more. My parents are celebrating their 57th wedding anniversary today. Is that not awesome? (laughs) Happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. And at some point, you know, that, I mean, they get to experience, I, I'm looking forward to being at that place where I can look back and know I, I trust God in every little thing that happens in my life because he's been faithful. And the truth is, you are sitting right now, even if you're watching on the net, you are, you are listening, you are watching, you are a part of a faith journey that was a blessing of God on a tiny group of believers that started this church 65 years ago. And they, they jumped out of the plane, they stepped out in a daring faith, and you're here as a part of it. And who knows what's going to happen going forward. But the amount of soaring that you do depends on you, not God. Last week we talked, I just want to go back and, 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 and do this real quick about Lazarus. We talked about Lazarus. Lazarus died, his sisters Martha and Mary were disappointed because Jesus wasn't there to heal him. All right. Um, listen, to the, listen to this. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd have been here. Okay. Now, what is that? That's a statement of complaint, but it's also a statement of faith because she's saying, if you would have got, why, why, why couldn't you have got here sooner? But at least she says, I know that you could have done something about it. I, I get that. She even goes on and says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Do you really believe that? Martha? Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, this is a part that's been kind of just sticking with me for the last week and a half. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, I know know it's going to be okay someday. But a few verses later, they said, let's move the stone and fix this problem right now. And she said, but Lord... By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. So, so Martha, what you're saying is, I I know that you could have healed him before he died, and I know that God's given you all his power, and I know he's going to be okay someday, but come on, he's been dead four days. You can't do anything about it now. You know what stinks here, Martha? It's your faith. I mean, you seriously believe that Jesus can resurrect people in the new life, but not now? I mean, if I ask the people listening to me right now, how many of you think that, how many of you believe that you're going to be in a better place with God someday when you die? You're going to say yes. The problem is, if I walk down Michigan Avenue and I said, how many of you think you're going to be in a better place with whatever version of God you believe when you die? They're all going to say, yeah, I think I'm going to. You know what? That's not faith. You'll be dead. There's nothing required of you at that point. That's like me saying, do you believe the Cubs will win the World Series someday? Right? 
hey, I do, I believe that. If the planet keeps spinning long enough and they keep playing baseball long enough, several hundred more years, the odds, <laughs> the odds are good that they're going to pull it off. That's not faith, that's statistical analysis. Faith is a different question. Do you believe the Cubs will win the World Series this year? Okay, nobody here. Good. One person. Wow. Real faith is putting your money on it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, starting to get lower and lower, isn't it? Yeah. Put your money where your mouth is. If you or your loved one has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-555-5. No, I mean, didn't we watch this happen this week in baseball on the White Sox side of town? I mean, Adam LaRoche, I don't, I don't even know what to think about him bringing his 14-year-old son to the ballpark every day and, you know, how the kid gets an education or anything else. I don't care. It doesn't matter. What I do know is that he put his money where his mouth was. He was going to make $13 million this year, and because the White Sox organization, if you don't know what I'm talking about, said you can't bring your son all the time uh, you know, to everything that's going on, he said, oh, forget it, I'll retire. That's putting your money where your mouth is. That's daring faith. Could you see the difference? Jesus told Martha, you believe in someday, that's really great, but what about now? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yeah, yeah, I believe. Okay, do you believe me enough to move the stone out of the way from where your dead brother's been buried for four days? Again, it was one thing for me to believe in the parachute. It was one thing for me to believe in the guy who packed my parachute. I met him. He was a Christian, seems like a really great guy. It was another thing to step out of the plane and trust the parachute. During Daring Faith, we're going to challenge you to step out of the plane. One of the things I really want to challenge you with, if you take your bulletin out, there's a next steps card in your bulletin. And uh, I'd love for you to every week just fill this out, let us know, prayer requests, whatever's going on. But right now we're gearing up for the Daring Faith small groups. And uh, we're looking for hosts. We're looking for you to, to sign up and say, I'm going to host a group. I'm going to lead people, whoever I want. Not, nothing, you know, we won't throw anybody at you. Anybody that I want to lead, my friends, my family. And all we need to be a host, all you need to do is have a heart for people, open up your home, serve some snacks, turn on a DVD. That's it. We, Casey and I have already laid down all the teaching. It's all very simple for you. A chance to sit and to chat and to talk and to, and to minister to each other. And it's like, a, it's like a CrossFit class for you, okay? It's like an exercise class. You're going to help each other grow in your faith. If you take this and turn it into Daring Faith Central on the way out, we'll give you a DVD. And the small group study won't start for a couple of weeks. It starts after Easter is over. But uh, I, I want to get you ready for it, get you ready to rock and roll, okay? Here is a little teaser video of the jump, and you'll have to wait for next week to see the whole thing. That's all you get. Got to come back next week. I was the Tom Cruise character, in case you're wondering. Um, Again, we're going with a 30-year-old movie, but it's all going to work. 
I'm going to turn to 2 Kings 5. I want to take you through an Old Testament story about daring faith, about, about, about a guy who almost didn't get the, to, to, to soar because he didn't want to do one simple little thing that God asked him to do. And if you don't have a Bible, it's cool. I mean, I'm going to put this up here. You don't need to bring it. But can I just say the old days of bringing a Bible is kind of irrelevant because uh, all you got to do is go to Uversion on the web, download the app. That's my favorite one. Nobody gets any money out of it. It's completely free. Uh, but get a Bible app. And, and the beautiful thing about it is you could turn in there and you can be following along with me. And you don't know where Second Kings is in the Bible anyway. So all you got to do is put in two kings and bada boom, bada bing. You're in. All right. Here we go. Second Kings 5.1. Story about Naaman. He's a commander in the Syrian army. He seems like a really good guy. Now, Naaman was a commander in the army of the king of Aram. The problem is the bigger of a deal you are, the harder it is for you to follow along in faith. I mean, the, 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 the more of a big deal you think you are and the more that you've done for yourself, the harder it is to listen when God asks you to step out of the plane. Um, that's why Jesus said the place to start is to have a faith like a child. Jesus talked about the tax collector who went to the altar, and he was a complete sinner, and all he did at the altar was say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then next to him was this Pharisee, this religious leader, who was standing there saying, God, look how awesome I am. I'm so great. Aren't you lucky to have me? And Jesus said, which one of those two do you think went home justified before God? It's only on our knees that we can come to God, nothing about ourselves. And the problem with Naaman, I think, starts off in the very beginning. It's a good thing. He's the commander of the army, okay? Could be a good thing, senior pastor of a megachurch. Could be a good thing. You're, you're the boss at your work. You, you, you know, you're the head of the garden club, whatever. Could be a good thing, or it might get in your way when it comes to a daring faith. Uh, I mean, I had this conversation this week. Somebody was like, so what do I call you? Do I call you Dr. Harlow or Pastor Harlow or Reverend, Archbishop, Supreme Commander? You know, what is it? I said, just, just call me Tim. That, my mama gave me that name. Tim is what I like. As they say where I'm from, you can call me anything but late for dinner. That's all I'm, that's all I'm asking is just call me whatever you want. Because I, the, the bigger I think I am, the less likely I am to listen to God. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aaron. Okay, God has used him. He is a respected man in the, in the, in the, in the eyes of the guy who's paying his salary. He's a respected man. He, he's a good guy. People like him. The Lord has given him victory. This guy has had success wherever he went. And again, this is what happens. A lot of times we get full of ourselves and start throwing ourselves around and, and thinking that we're important and start relying on our own strength instead of the strength of God. Christian Herter was the governor of Massachusetts and he was running for re-election and he was normally a very humble man, but he, he told a story about being in this gathering one time where, where he was just famished. He hadn't had breakfast. He hadn't had lunch. And he was at a, a, you know, a re-election campaign barbecue thing. So he's going through the line. Everybody's taking pictures, you know, and he gets, he gets to the lady who's got the chicken and, uh, and she gives him one piece of chicken. And he says, excuse me, ma'am, I haven't eaten all day. Could I have another piece of chicken? She said, I'm sorry, sir. I've been told to give one piece of chicken per person. And he said, but man, I'm, I'm really, really hungry. Couldn't I just have another piece of chicken? No, I'm sorry. One per customer. That's all I can do. Finally, he got a little exasperated and said, ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of the state. And she said, sir, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Now move along. <laughs> Sometimes we all need somebody to say, hey, you're not, so, you're not all that. You're not that important, okay? Because 
Sometimes God needs to tell us how to get our life in a place that we can never get on our own. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. See, the thing that happens a lot in our lives is it doesn't matter how great we are, how successful we are, whatever. I mean, at some point, there's going to be something bad that's going to happen, and you're going to have to go back to your childlike faith because God's going to call you back there. It's much better if you don't wait for that to happen. Leprosy is a horrible, life-ending, contagious illness, okay? And we talked about this last week. I don't know if God brought this on him. I don't know if he brought it on himself. I don't know if Satan sent it. I don't know if it was just because we live in a fallen world and Naaman ended up with leprosy, and that was a bad, bad deal back then. But thankfully, Naaman had somebody in his life who was the lady in charge of the chicken. It was his wife's servant, who was from Israel, and she said, hey, there's a prophet of God in Israel, and he's really connected to God. He might be able to help you with this. So Naaman listens. It's good. Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, and said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now, Naaman's demonstrated pretty good, pretty good faith up to this point. He went a long way. He found this prophet. He went up to the prophet's house, and he got all that, all that way up. But I guess at some point, you know, he hit the end of his willingness to submit to a daring faith. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Seems easy enough, right? But Naaman went away angry and said, man, I thought he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and, and, and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Evidently, he'd been watching television evangelists on TV or something. I don't know. I mean, I expected him to come up and slap me on the forehead and say, be healed. I don't, I don't even know. Why, why do I got to go dump, jump in the river? I, this doesn't make any sense. And, and the normal reaction to the challenge of a daring faith is sometimes it makes us angry. Sometimes we get offended. And some of you will feel that way with me by the end of April. And that's okay. Naaman went away angry. He said, I surely thought he would at least come out to me. I mean, did you notice Elisha, did, Elisha didn't even go outside? He didn't even go outside. And Naaman's like, man, he's dissing me. Well, I mean, what's the deal? He doesn't even, I, I'm, I'm a pretty big deal. He doesn't come outside. What, what Naaman doesn't understand is that Elisha's a prophet of God, and under Old Testament law, if Elisha had come into contact with leprosy, he would have been unclean, and he wouldn't be able to do his job. Well, Elisha wasn't disrespecting Naaman. He knew he couldn't go out and talk to him, but Naaman didn't understand that. Elisha sent him a simple message, simple thing. Yeah, you can be healed of leprosy. You're going to die of leprosy. Really simple thing you can do. Go dip seven times in the Jordan River. The seven was a, a sign of perfection. Go dip seven times in the Jordan River, and you will be healed. But Naaman's angry. He's angry about it. And, and he goes on, and he's like, and the Jordan River, I mean, he, first of all, he doesn't come out. He doesn't wave his hand over me. And then he says, the Jordan River are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel. Now he's like trying to pick his, his spot, you know. Like, i got to get in the dirty Jordan. I mean, i got better rivers over here. Why can't I just do it over here? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. 
Okay, do you see that? Again, a kind of a normal reaction to somebody challenging you with a daring faith. What, had Elijah told him something bad? Had Elijah told him something wrong? No, Elijah told him something very simple. But he didn't want to partner with God on this one. He just wanted God to take care of it for himself. If you remember, go back to that one. If you remember back in 2000, back at the beginning of this one, back one more up, please. Yeah, in 2016, I said at the very beginning of the year, you are definitely going to need to create some place for God to do his miracles. And it may take some work. If you were here that very first weekend, I talked about another Elisha story where Elisha said, you know, you're going to have to dig some ditches because God's going to send some water. And if God sends water and you don't have any place to put it, the water's going to do you absolutely no good. When the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, this is what the Lord says, make this valley full of ditches. And I talked about the fact that these guys were thirsty, they hadn't had any water, they were tired, they were at the end of their rope, and the last thing they wanted to do was go dig some ditches. But they did, and when they dug the ditches, the water of God came, and the water went into the ditches, and they were able to drink it, and they were able to be saved, because sometimes we have to partner with God. Sometimes we just need to obey. And God usually doesn't ask us to do something crazy, something all that hard, but sometimes he asks us to partner with him. Well, luckily, Naaman also had some ladies in charge of the chicken in his own camp, because his servants had the guts to go to him and say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? This is so good to me. Because, because you know, the, the more important I think I am, the more that I've done for myself, the more offended I am when somebody says, you just need to do some simple little thing for God. If God would have asked you to jump out of a plane, wouldn't you have done it, his servants say? If God would have asked you to, to go wipe out an army, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Now, hey, bro, it's not like he's telling you to do something crazy and hard. Just go jump in the water. That's all you got to do. And thankfully, Naaman listened. He went down and dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times as the man of God had told him. He finally did it. Would it have worked if he had done it six times? I don't think so. Because this was a, a test of his faith, his daring faith. And as soon as he did that, his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. So my question for you is, what's getting in the way of the miraculous power of God in your life? What is your Jordan River obedience I mean, what's the one thing that God has asked you to do, and it's not really that big of a deal, but you're resisting it? And it's probably maybe even hindering the work of God in your life. Do you know what that is? I mean, maybe it's an apology. Let me give you some examples. Maybe it's an apology. You know, you know right now that there are people in your life you need to go to and say, I'm sorry. And if you did that, the work of God in your life would probably help you soar even higher on wings of eagles. Maybe it's another way of mending a broken relationship. Maybe it's a request for help. Maybe you're, you're suffering through something right now, and God's been saying, look, go tell your friends what's going on. Go get in a support group. Get some counseling. Go tell the church, because the church is here for you. We just don't know what's going on. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know what it might be. What it might be is literally going and jumping in the river. 
Oh, I see what you did there, Reverend Doctor, Pastor Guy. It's baptism weekend, isn't it? Yes, it is. Being immersed in the water to find healing. Look, I don't write this stuff, I just preach it, okay? This is one of our two mass baptism weekends we have every year. Now, we do baptisms any time of the day or night. We'll do them for you. You don't have to do them in front of people. But this is a perfect text for those of you who have been resisting it. 166 people so far have done it. Still got, a, still got services to go. A lot of them weren't planning on doing it. They just jumped in the water. Because that's the way they did it in the Bible. And many of you were baptized as babies and confirmed it later. And we're not, we're not saying that's wrong. We're, we're not saying Mother Teresa's in hell because she didn't get baptized by immersion. That's not the point. The point is, the first thing that people did in the Bible when they came to Jesus is they got baptized. And the point is that the first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry is he got baptized to fulfill all righteousness. So why haven't you done it for yourself? Is your pride getting in the way? I mean, I get it. If you see baptism as something you have to do for the church, then I wouldn't do it either, okay? Preacher's kid was playing with the kittens one day in the backyard, and his, his mom was watching him. Everything seemed fine. Pretty soon she turned around to do some work, and she heard the, the kittens just screaming and meowing and clawing. And she looked out, and, and her son was practicing baptizing the kittens in a bucket out in the backyard. She said, Johnny, stop that. You'll drown those kittens. Johnny looked at her and said, They should have thought of that before they joined my church. This is, not about, this is not about joining the church. This is, it's not my church. This is not my idea. It's certainly not my idea at all. It's Jesus' idea. He did it. And then right before he left, he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is our charge. Baptizing them. Baptizing them. And that word right there literally means immerse them. I mean, I'm not, the, the church baptized people by immersion for the first 1,300 years of church history. It wasn't until 1311 that we changed the mode to, to baptizing infants and confirming it later. Again, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference. But God told us to go out and to baptize them, to immerse them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So that's what we do here. And I would tell you that even uh, we've baptized a lot of people this weekend that have been believers for a long time. And they decided they wanted to make this step on their own. I've never had anybody come up out of the waters of baptism and say, well, that was a waste of time. That was dumb that I got wet. I don't know why I did that. Naaman certainly didn't feel that way. And neither will you. And evidently, baptism was such an important deal. I mean, I've been to Israel. I've seen the baptistries they used in Israel, it was, it was a tub just like we have so they could die, be buried, and raise again. That was the symbolism of baptism in the first place. And there's one story that, that I always kind of go back to. It's about Philip. It's one of the early disciples. And, and God tells him to go talk to this Ethiopian guy that's riding by in a chariot. So he stops and he says, Philip began with that very passage of scripture. He's reading the Old Testament and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, that's all we know. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the man said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the man went down into the water, immersion, right? Went down into the water, Philip baptized him and they came back up again. 
Now, that's all we have of the story. So my question is, well, what did they talk about? If Philip was telling him about Jesus for the first time, somewhere along the way he said, now, if you want to come to Jesus, what you ought to do is you ought to go get baptized. And the guy said, well, look, there's water right there. Let's do it right now. That's how they did it. Every single instance of somebody coming to Christ in the New Testament was followed immediately by their baptism. The very first day of the church, Peter got up and preached a sermon, and 3,000 people, they they all said, what should we do? What what do we do now? We killed Jesus. We want to follow him. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. The remission of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is for you and those who are far off. Baptism was that important. It was that important that Jesus went to John, and John said, I can't baptize you. You're, You're like perfect. Why would you get baptized? And Jesus said, I need to do this now to fulfill all righteousness. The Apostle Paul, when he was called by Jesus directly, spent a few days with a man named Ananias. And when he was ready to to, to move on in his faith, Ananias said, Now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. And usually when we're having mass baptisms, people are like, You know what, I'm going to get baptized one of these days when I get my act together. And my, my question back to them is, how's that going for you? Getting your act together. Because baptism was supposed to be at the beginning of the process. Baptism is the thing that you're saying, okay, God, I need you in, in my life. It's like the woman who signed up for the CrossFit class to get into shape. And the instructor told her, wear some loose clothing. She said, if I had any loose clothing, I wouldn't need a CrossFit class. Okay? If you have any righteousness, you don't need this. But because we need Jesus, baptism is the way that we say, hey, I want to unite myself with you. I want to clothe myself with you. I want to follow you. You might say, well, I couldn't do it today. I wasn't prepared for it. Neither were most of the people that have done it already. And say, well, I I, I didn't bring a towel. Well, we got about a thousand towels back there. We're we're ready for it. Well, well, I I don't have a change of clothes. Well, your clothes will dry. There used to be this thing called a, a clothesline that people used to hang their clothes on and they would dry automatically before you had a dryer? And seriously, they'll dry. Well, I, I wore light-colored clothing. Well, hey, I don't want to see that either. We got T-shirts for you. <laughs> Please, okay, we got that covered. Well, I got to drive home and it'll get my car seats all wet. You put a plastic bag down and you sit on it. It's really, really simple. We got all that stuff for you. Well, what am I going to do with my cell phone and all my stuff? We'll put it in a plastic bag and you can give it to your friends, okay? It's really that simple. If you don't have anybody here with you, we'll take care of it. Give it to you right then and there, okay? It's really, really, we've thought of everything. And you're going to say, well, my family's not here. We've had this conversation several times this weekend. Listen, this isn't between you and your family. It's between you and God. If this is your day, step out. Have a daring faith. Craig Rochelle said he, uh, he was a, he's a pastor in Oklahoma. He said when he was first learning the whole deal about being a pastor, he had a senior pastor that he worked with that would always baptize people by saying, let the old man die. And he would baptize him, you know, bring him up again and, and let the old man die. He just had, had this, that was his statement that he would say and the people would always cheer. Craig said, I was like 23 and I was doing one of my first baptisms and it was up in one of those baptistries where everybody can see everything that's going on and I had this really sweet looking older woman that, you know, probably looked like she was pretty wealthy, very, very sweet woman and I stood up there and I thought, oh man, I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. 
Oh, oh yeah, my pastor always said, let the old man die. So I, I, I turned to the microphone and I said, today we're going to bury the old lady. <laughs> he said it wasn't quite the same. Um, but I love the analogy. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Paul, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. If you want to, go, if you want to get baptized, go to the back, back by where the communion station is back there, and we will have people that will help you. And I'm going to be in the tub waiting for you. You don't have to do it seven times, just once. But I promise you, you will never be the same. Let's pray. Lord, I know that uh, a lot of people in here that have already followed you in baptism, and that, that, that's not their deal. There's something, though, probably that all of us, that you're asking any and all of us to do, some simple maybe little act of faith that we need to do and maybe in our hearts right now, we're thinking, yeah, that's probably it. I need to do that. Will you help us to realize that sometimes just that small little step of faith that you said if we had a mustard seed of faith, we could move mountains? Be with us during this series. Be with us next weekend, Lord, as we talk about daring to believe and what that really means. Be with Easter. Be with us during this series as we challenge each other, push each other. Make sure there are some ladies who pass out the chicken in our lives that are able to tell us the things we need to hear, whether that's me or, or somebody else. Because, Lord, what you've asked us to do is simple obedience. Let's move the stone. Yeah, I believe, I believe that you can take care of things later, but what about now? Maybe it's baptism. During this communion time right now, as we watch what's getting ready to happen, Lord, will you just fill, your, fill, fill this place with your presence and your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.